Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Nasty Canasta, a burlesque producer and performer hailing from Brooklyn, New York. A producer for Wasabasco, Nasty is known by the tagline, The Girl with the 44 Double D Brain. She was previously a guest on the Crash Chords podcast, episode 183, where she brought Donker Mag by Di Antwerd for discussion. Today, Matt inquires about her earliest ambitions and her transition from theater to burlesque. They chat about what she looks for in other performers and the types of acts and shows she identifies with most. They chat about her most recent Wasabasco show, Unstripped Mysteries, a tribute to the show Unsolved Mysteries, as well as her costuming skills and what goes into creating outfits. And so, from Nasty's future as a producer to the future of burlesque as a whole, here's presenting Matt Storm and Nasty Canasta. And welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And with me today is the person who dubbed me said name. Oh, yeah, that's right. Is the one and only Nasty Canasta. Hello. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, I've been wanting to have you on the interview show for a while. Um, you were a delight to have on the other show and brought us uh, a Donker Mag by Di Antwerd. Which I don't think I've listened to since then. Really? Enough, yeah. I don't know that's... I mean, I, it's funny. There are certain songs I listen to. I've been more um, watching their music videos because mm. they're so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yes, you did dub me that nickname. Uh, we were at. We were. You found out my last name was Storm. And it was, I think, right after that had happened. The the Doctor Who episode. Yes. And you and Doc had both started calling me that in front of other humans, yep. and it stuck. <laughs> and so, and now I've built a whole DJ career on it. So hey, there you go. It works. So for every time someone says the name, I'll send you ten cents. Or Thank something. you. Yeah, Thank you. Welcome. And then I'll send. 11 cents to the BBC. Right, exactly. And then you can also send 10 cents to uh, Looney Tunes as well. Yes. We're not going to talk about that. No, we're not. Um, (laughs) I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I wanted to talk a lot of things besides burlesque, but um, actually something I remember that we didn't really talk about the last time you were on the show is kind of how... You told me about the first time you saw a burlesque show, but how did you know burlesque is kind of the direction you wanted to go? Like, What did you see that kind of made it what you wanted to do? It actually was that first show um, that, so I went to school for theater, blah, 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 and, um, you know, had this really extensive, you know, Ivy League theater history education, and, <laughs> and it, it, you know, everything from, you know, medieval uh, pageant plays and all this stuff up through, you know, I mean, the, the history of theater, and I saw this burlesque show that my friend brought me to, and I was like, they never told us about this, like, right. that's where I was just... And and I think watching that show, I mean, there were, it was amazing performers and that, like people that I still massively admire and respect to this day. But just the fact that they were these little self-contained stories that clearly mm-hmm. were very personal. And I don't mean like, this is the story of my mother's journey across the, like literally it was just like, clearly I made up this story. Like clearly nobody yeah. wrote this for me. And that they were all so different. So there was, you know, one person 
who at Harvest Moon was a is a contortionist, so mm-hmm. her number was contortiony, and I didn't know who these people were at the time, but you know, I'm watching this woman with this amazing face acting yeah. and this weird joke thing, and it turns out Julie Atlas Muse, who is just a demented genius, but that the idea that clearly things that people that were so much a part of themselves and, mm-hmm. and their performance aesthetic and also their personality and their personal aesthetic were coming through so strongly. Um, and I may be a little bit of a control freak. A little. <clears throat> Shut up. So um, <laughs> I think it, it wasn't clear, and this is sort of became clear to me as I right. started doing it, but I, I kind of like the idea of you get to write it and direct it and costume it and sound design it and... I'll, you know, and you can bring in other people or get help when you when you need to or want to or want to collaborate. But the idea that it's entirely your story, um, you know, and not to immediately get political about it, but the fact that it's such a female driven art form and the yeah. fact that there are, you know, women get to get on stage and tell their stories. And that's it. Like right. that's which does not happen traditionally in Western theater so much. No, especially not with some semblance of male gaze. Exactly. In the writing and in the directing. Mm -hmm. Um, And when did you feel like, this is always a silly question, Mm -hmm. I only bring it up because I recently realized I am a working part-time DJ. Mm -hmm. I'm doing enough private gigs now and enough shows in the city that I was like, oh, this is actually a Mm -hmm. job. Um, So when did you feel like you really first finger quotes, made it as a burlesque performer. I mean, I, I don't know how I made it. Um, <laughs> I mean, considering you are <laughs> the queen of nerdlesque and have won many awards. Um, I think it's funny because I was still doing theater. So I saw that first show and then months went by and then the friend who brought me to that told me about a casting call for a sort of vaudeville burlesque thingy and he was like you should put something together and go and so that was six months and then six months later they hired me so there was a good chunk of time that I was like it was just kind of in the back of my mind is this thing I'd seen Mm -hmm. and then this thing that I tried and then this thing that they were like oh yeah clearly somebody canceled on a show and they called me so so this thing that all of a sudden I was doing three numbers in Mm -hmm. in a week and that was weird but and I remember after the first couple shows going, oh, my God, it would be so fun to be able to do this, like, once a month. Right. That would be great. Right. Um, and I was still performing in theater. I was still auditioning in theater. I don't know. I, I was... It came at a time that I was getting very disenchanted with New York theater anyway. Sure. And I was more and more working on my own projects or, um, you know, with people specifically on our own projects um, in theater. So that was a, I was kind of already heading in that direction of I want to do my own stuff. Mm-hmm. And the first couple years even um, that I was performing burlesque, I I think I I had some friends who were, who were writers or theater artists who were kind of putting my burlesque into their pieces into their pieces oh interesting so that kind of that transition sort of happened slowly and then I realized I was just working on you know a couple friends that I collaborated with who were writer producers um I was only doing their theater and more and more with the burlesque and then I kind of just realized I hadn't gone to an audition and really cared to for ages um so I don't really know I mean it took a few years but 
I kind of looked up and that was it. Then then you, know? you were just doing it. Yeah. I feel like that's how it goes with a lot of the arts is like you kind of fake so. it till you make it sort of speak. I think so. Or you start, you know, taking a puppetry class because it seems interesting <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're, that's all you're doing. And, right. Um, or I think it's, I, even with other things, I mean, we know people who, you know, their their sort of their passion becomes a thing that they just totally go go into. I, right. I'm thinking of like uh, Dame Kuchifrida, who's a, an amazing performer, an incredible costumer, um, but now I, I think she's pretty much just a, a food creationist. I don't even know, right. she, you know, she's yeah. a chef, but I, her stuff's beyond just cooking. It's, right. it's incredible. And, and I think it just kind of just shifted to that. Like, right. Once you can start bringing in more money doing that or yeah, doing it or, more. Or it's just somehow more satisfying. Right. You know. Speaking of satisfaction with, with working on this stuff, like you were talking off air a little bit about a procrastination, which we were mm-hmm. both familiar with. Um, and I find myself now that I'm without a day job and focusing mm-hmm. more on DJing and podcasting and trying to do other stuff the on YouTube. The emotionally satisfying things, yeah. Right. So what do you do to try and stay interested in stuff that maybe kind of leaves you, or how do you find uh, a way to kind of re-invite, uh, revitalize stuff that you're working on? Well, I find that the actual work itself, creating the the work, yeah. is, is the part I like. Right. Um, you know, I've I, I don't want to be a producer, but I want to make my shows happen. And I have partners. Thank God I have a structure right. you know, and, and support staff. And we, we work with each other to make all of our projects happen. But, you know, my my shows wouldn't happen without me doing them. Right. I kind of just want artistic direct and, yeah. and you know, and, and write and and work, you know, do the art part of it. Um, you know, and even the, like, paper mache art part and making the props and stuff. But so I think that that part... If I find I'm like I, I'm working on a show and I just don't or a number or whatever and I just like oh my god I just don't even want to think about listening to the music again I'm like all right this isn't something I should be doing then it's right. not interesting. As far as the sort of office work part of it goes, I I, I operate on a uh, self-administered treat-based series <laughs> <laughs> where I, you know if I do the stupid Facebook invites then I get to watch an episode of Red Dwarf, you know, or whatever. Right. Or or I get to watch an episode of Red Dwarf while I'm doing the stupid thing. Facebook invites kind of thing. And, gotcha. and it's just, uh, you know, I, I have always had to trick myself into doing that stuff. It's funny. I li- I don't mind office work, and it's stuff I've always <laughs> done as a day job. But, like, finding – I, I think it comes from me a part of not always being confident. And so mm-hmm. why would you want to promote something when oh, you don't quite in that God, moment absolutely. believe in it? Absolutely. And I think I get lost in that sometimes mm-hmm. when trying to promote it. Or that I believe in it, but I'm just like, I don't know if you really want to – This is why I wasn't good at theater, actually. Right. Um, I don't I don't know if I was a good actor. I, I was fine. I, I – you know, whatever. I was fine. I can say you're a good actor. I mean, you know, theater, you know, whatever. Who knows? I, I was fine. I didn't stink up the yeah. joint, but I don't know if I ever would have been whatever. But what I was really, really bad at was the business of it. Yeah. And at the time that I was doing it, I mean, it literally meant, you know, going to reproductions and getting your box of black and white <laughs> photo print headshots and stapling them to the, you know, the thing that you had to have printed out right. and mailing those in envelopes and literally, you know, shaking every goddamn hand and, well, my brother's friend's cousin knows somebody who once was an agent like I'll call them I'll follow it up I'll be hi it was very it was great to meet you the other day so we were talking you know like I hated that stuff mm-hmm. and I realized that what I was really at the heart of that was I kind of wasn't sure that I was any good at it anyway right so I was sort of you know people would say like what are you doing I'm not an actor but I, you know and I think I'm more I am a lot more confident 
in the quality of the work that I create with what I do now. Right. I know, you know, again, like, I don't know, is it, I mean, am I the greatest thing in the world? Yes, yes, I am. No, I don't, but, I would you say know, you are, I know my you work know, is good. And right. I know, and I know that it's unique in a, within the art form. It's also a little bit of a, you know, smaller pond situation, but so I'm a little bit more able to be like, hey, you should come to this show because, you know, also I was doing these plays for years that I was like, you'd rehearse for months and people would be like, great, when can we come see it? You're like, please don't come to this. It's awful. Yeah, it's horrible. I'm in this thing. Like, don't I'm in see this it. thing. Don't see it. And now I. I don't feel that way. Right. I know my shows. I'm like, you should come to the show because yeah. even if I'm the worst thing in it, and I very often am, like, oh my god, this show is going to be amazing. Sure. Or other people's shows. I'm like, this is going to be so much fun. Oh my yeah. god, it's so stupid. You should see it. <laughs> and I mean that in a good way, you know. So no, of course. I think it's a lot easier to do the work or to force yourself to do the work when you know that there's some. When I I, I feel that there is more. Value and I don't know to in what in what right. way whether it's you know social artistic just enjoyment. I like the fact too that now we're like have a drink, watch titty show, see something that's going to make you go, huh? Yeah, and go home. You know, I've actually reached a point as a uh, as a viewer of burlesque that I like classic acts and I love beautiful huh. costumes and I think there's a skill in the talent. I love and all watching people do it well, but. But I don't get the same thing out of it as I do something with a narrative or something that's a little quirky. And it's nothing against people no. who do that. I think it's just for me, yeah. I like when things are a little strange or make you think yep, or do too. something beyond I'm pretty and I dance really mm -hmm. well, which mm -hmm. there is no fault in that kind of an act. I think I've, I have found um, that the people that I consistently love to watch who do classic performance even though, if you were to describe it, it is a dance or a movement-based piece with a traditional, you know, costume, a.k.a. gown, corset, yeah. boa, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're the people that, and maybe it's because I often know them, but um, there is still something happening in the number. There right. is some sort of arc or narrative or, I mean, you watch even like Penny Wren's most dance-based performances. Oh, yeah. There is so much going on within that performer that it, 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 there's a world there whether or not it's oh, I see the story is I open the box and I am surprised by the thing and then it attacks my face and then it makes me take my clothes out. like it, so I, I think I think I'm right there with you with that mm -hmm. that I, I want you know but also theater people you kind of have that like I want the story and the and you well, make sure. up your own stories if you got to. <laughs> of course well and there are some of the some of the crazier shows that you've produced at the Bell House and now Littlefield um often have classic moments within it mm -hmm. that push the narrative along that feel strong in the moment and even I, though I think you need that yeah. um that variation in in numbers honestly it's why I I have I get a little eye rolly about you know I mean, you can do the show you want. Like, you get to produce right. the show you want. You get to see the show you want to go see. Right. I think it does the audience a disservice if the entire show is all one thing, honestly. Even yeah. even nerdlesque shows. Even, you know, um, I, I love when producers... Um, Festival producers, I think. I think the the folks at the Nerdlesque Fest did a great job this year. The, there were numbers that were so... Um, 
cosplay based, like you know, yeah. immaculate recreations of costumes. Um, there were some that were so narrative and and funny and bizarre, mm-hmm. and there were some that were so abstract, and there were some numbers that were classic burlesque numbers. Yeah, um, you know that happened to be referencing something but if you didn't know that it didn't matter and and I, I, I think there needs to be whatever the, the thrust of the show there needs to be that mix in there or it's just no matter how different the bodies are and the you know and the colors yeah. of the costumes are and you're just watching the same thing over and over again well yeah and I think you I've heard you say it a lot in others as well Nerdlesque shouldn't just be about the reference it should Absolutely. be about everything and what I learned at Nerdlesque Fest this past year is the headline Pillow who I'd mm-hmm. never met before that show and she was I may be a little wonderful. obsessed with that one. Oh, so am I <laughs> um, she was wonderful but like both her her science act was pretty straightforward mm-hmm. to let it go, and that one I loved. But her, the act she did on the second oh, night, so like, good. I did not get the reference, but she was so good in it. So here's the thing: that wasn't a reference. It was just her. It was just it, it armor. Was a character she created. Created, and see, and, and I had no idea. I love that, and I found um, for for me having done a lot of nerdlesque for pretty much since like the minute I started. Yeah. I love I love reference numbers, but I think we've hit a point now where there's a lot of, you know, sort of the I don't, I don't want to say it, I know it sounds pejorative, but the the obvious ones, right. you know, the 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 because it's mostly female identifying performers performing the acts yeah. and because we, you know, have unfortunately a, a smaller pool of these strong, amazing characters to draw from. You know, there's a lot of Princess Leia's and there's a lot of Wonder Woman's and yeah. there's a lot of, you know. Um, I like the idea of either sort of deep nerd stuff yeah. or why not make up our own characters? Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm finding more, I'm more interested in non-reference based nerd for my own stuff. Sure. For my own work. Um, you know, I've performed the the, Costume, the act, the character from the thing with ten thousand pasties. I've yeah. done just as an act on its own, and it's just it's a, tentacle a tentacle monster. monster. Yeah, it's, it's a stripping monster. tentacle monster. Yeah, um, and I, I kind of, I, I like that idea. I think, I think it's, and I, I want to as a, I don't know, teacher, mentor, nerdless pioneer of telling people <laughs> what to do, except not. Um, I want to, I want to encourage people to, to to take that step or to have that permission. Yeah. And I think people get a little bit like, well, it's not nerdlesque if it's not Captain America. Like, well, it could just be a superhero. And I love, yeah. you know, the um, the costume no longer exists, so I don't do the number anymore, but the um, the half and half hero villain number yes, that I did. I love People, that. it drove them nuts trying to figure, figure out who, who they were. And I was like, it's a hero and a villain. villain. That's it, yeah. And obviously, you know, red, white, and blue contrasting to purple and green, it's its the easiest visual contrast. It's right. why we did it in the comics for, you know, since we began all this. But it drove people fucking nuts. Yeah. And, and I, I kind of love that in a way, but yeah. also... I don't know. Well, it's also, it's funny, like, the, this is a great segue. It's one of the, my favorite shows that Wasa Bosco does. And I'm a little biased. But <laughs> it's the Heroes and Villains show because mm. as someone who grew up wearing costumes and did not knowing cosplay exists and mm. then getting into cosplay and then kind of falling out of it because of, for whatever reason, I just wasn't keeping up with it, this opportunity to create my own character and take a mask I had owned for over mm-hmm. a decade and then create this character that not only creeps out some of my favorite people at the yeah. show. That thing is so fucking creepy. But also create a character and then kind of do whatever I like yeah. with it. 
and I'm not even in the show. I'm just running sound, yeah. and it's still so much fun, and I like that freedom. Also, like I've told Doc many times, I would watch the Lord Sebastian TV show. Oh, absolutely. Because I just love how ridiculous he gets. And also, as someone who... You know, he's not a subdued host. He's definitely funny and he likes to react, but he's so over the top in it's that character. It's such a different character than, like, than his stage persona. In I, feel, I feel like creating your own characters gives you more freedom to Absolutely. do that. Well, I mean, think about like when you were a little kid, you did that. Yeah. I, I totally did. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly, uh, given the age I was and the fact that I mostly just played with boys in the neighborhood, I always got to be Princess Leia or Uhura, which was a little weird, but. Um, <laughs> I'm a white lady. But, um, <laughs> you know, you still, when it, you know, other than that, you're like, let's see what's in the box of crap my grandmother gave me and like put this thing on and, you know, like, okay, now I'm, I, God, I, I still have a photo. I was, it started out as the birthday fairy. <laughs> I put on everything in the box. It's like, can I wear all of this at once? I think I was about four. And I could, um, you know, so I could, like, go up and sing happy birthday to my uncle or something. Mm-hmm. And then it turned into, I don't even remember, I don't even think it had a name. It was just, like, when I put on all of these clothes, the i got to show fairy? you this picture. I think, I it's, really on, I think it. it's on the internet somewhere. Sure it's it pretty much clearly the genesis of how I create costumes, too, because it's just, like, everything in from a box. Well, let's talk about costuming, actually, because you have you have a blog that you've been running for a long time. Um, what is it? The Dollar Store Showgirl. Mm-hmm. And... Obviously, it's promoting that you don't need bajillion dollars, Mm -hmm. so much money I made up a number, to make costumes. You can do it from anything. And where did that kind of, did that, was that born out of just not having the money to buy costume pieces? Or did you always want to go in with this intent to make things as cheaply and efficiently? It was never intentional, but I grew up, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, I also have always made things, Mm -hmm. like always made things. I think partially because we didn't have a lot of money, but um, I lived with my grandmother for a long time, and um, I don't think she realized. I mean, she was a knitter. She's an amazing knitter. Her stuff was beautiful. But I don't think she really realized how crafty, creative she was. It Mm -hmm. was just like, the kid wants a dollhouse. We can't buy her a dollhouse. We have a lot of shoeboxes and spools and this and that. So, I mean, we just, we made everything mm-hmm. and and I also think um, growing up watching like classic Doctor Who and um, classic Star Trek and like from the Where minute everybody I was wore boxes everybody much. like everything <laughs> and I think subconsciously as a little kid you you don't you don't sit there going oh it looks like they made that out of a salt shaker and a and a pop bottle you just painted. go what can I find but to make you that literally thing? somehow yeah. in the back of your mind you're like that looks like a thing I could do and then you do it and right. so it's always been possible for me like oh I, I need this thing it's how I taught myself how to sew too I kind of right. had stuff in my brain that I was like I can't find this anywhere and even if I could find it I I couldn't buy I couldn't afford it so mm-hmm. how do I figure out how to make it um also, you know, I live in Brooklyn. I mean, I, there's like dollar there's stores dollar every stores corner. everywhere, yeah. and there's not, you know, fancy costume stores. So, uh, you know, I, it's become a bit of a. I, I've been trying to like actually actually write a manifesto, but yeah. it meant I had to learn how to write a manifesto. So um, <laughs> about you know, I, I get I get very. I get a little prickly about it now, though. Yeah. You know, I when when people. Post the like. I somebody might have just ordered nine hundred dollars worth of rhinestones. Hashtag. I think I have a problem, and I'm like, that's cool. You just ordered nine hundred dollars worth of rhinestones, and I'm and I 
if your life circumstances are such that nobody is going hungry or without medical care because of that, that's great. You get to do that. But I think that where we started was people cobbling shit together and where we ended up with is, oh my God, her costumes are so amazing and, and gorgeous and like so covered in rhinestones. She's great. Yeah. And the fact is like, I, I just, I, I think there is, a, there is undeniable skill to creating an amazing costume. Sure. Whatever it looks like, whether it's made out of cardboard or it's made out of, you know, the breath of Jesus, like whatever in there, in between. But Side I think question, we, what's the, the breath of Jesus smell like? Uh, it's not a smell, it's more of a cost per ounce issue, so. Thank you. You know, but there's people who combine it all. I look at somebody like Media Noche, who is, like, her costuming is immaculate. Insane. It's gorgeous. Her it's Valkyrie, insane. Valkyrie costume blows me away every And the time fact I that it. the woman could look at a rhinestone from 900 feet away and tell you what the color is called. I'm just like, girl, you like you crazy. But she's an incredible performer. Right. You, so on stage, the costumes are serving the act. Right. She's not a mannequin for the costumes. Right. You know, and that's that's kind of where I get like and then I, you know, I think of like Darlinda just Darlinda didn't act once. I hope she still does it. I haven't seen it in ages where she literally was Sitting on, I think, sitting on a stool or a chair wrapped in a piece of red fabric. Wow. And that was the act. The costume was a piece of red fabric, and it was one of the most stunning numbers. I mean, I don't think I've seen it in eight years, but it was... It stuck with you, yeah. It it stuck with me. And it was a piece of red fabric. Yeah. Like, I, I, so, this idea of, like... I, I like, I feel like new performers get very, like... I have to spend a million dollars. I'm like, mm-hmm. no. And then, it, and then you end up with a very samey thing. Yeah. I need a corset, and it has to be so covered in rhinestones that it doesn't bend. Mm-hmm. And I need feather, 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 giant feather headdress that's a ten foot diameter, and I need a boa. And I need the I need the five thousand dollar boa that is the size of a Volkswagen, <laughs> and then it's a number. And I'm like, okay, but what do you? Doing. doing with yeah. it. Why do you need that? Sure. Well, I think also what, what a lot of that comes from is you can do a lot with a little if you know what you're working with and what mm-hmm. you want to do. And I think there's this idea that the more over the top you look, the better the act will be. And, and that's, that's not the case. I no. think I love that we have this opportunity for absurd. It's absurdism. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, fancy ladies. It's absurdism. <laughs> absurdism. Like it is. It is absurd. And I mean that not in the in the artistic sense, in, right. the, in the you know theater term sense. So yes, you get to, like why why do you have glitter on your face? Like yeah. people don't live like that. We get to do that. That's wonderful. But I think for me, then like making that absurdist ten foot diameter headdress out of feather dusters and rubber gloves from the dollar store is is a also effective it's yeah. also a choice sure and doesn't mean that you're going to get backstage and watch somebody unpacking their headdress that because we're all working from the same sources and feathers only come in so many shapes oh that looks a lot like mine unintentionally but that's yeah. what we're all you know a boa is a boa except if you make it out of a picnic tablecloth it's <laughs> not going to look like that boa that that person's unpacking sure. as well so 
I don't know. I think it's, I think, and, and I think, you know, along with all of the other far more important kind of social and issues that we need to kind of get through in this industry, there, there is a, there is a classism issue. And mm-hmm. I think the idea that, you know, it, literally as a, as a kid who had to make shoebox you know, I had two Star Wars guys because that's yeah. all we could afford, but we made awesome freaking things for them in the yard out of leaves and shit for them to, you know, run around in. I think the idea that, you know, value is only monetary is really problematic. I agree. I really, think, really, really problematic. I think as someone who doesn't really feel like he has the skills to make those costumes, I'm happy to pay the money for it. Mm. But... But you also get to design the costume right whether or not you're building it and, yeah. I, th- and I I think the idea of just I, yeah I, it's I the think creativity it's, that fuels it as well absolutely it's not just shopping in a store and going oh this is good I'll absolutely. put this on and it's, and it's what you then do on stage with it right. I have seen truly horrible boring uninteresting black hole like, oh, God, I've just wasted five minutes of my life staring at this performances with, you know, amazing costumes. And you're sure. like, that's great. But why? Why? Why we do that, though? Right. Well, and I think also it's what you do with the act or the mm-hmm. the narrative that changes it, too. Like, I've always been a huge fan of Lefty Lucy. But oh, the act God, she yeah. did this year, the Shadowcat act she did, she looked comic book accurate to Shadowcat. Mm-hmm. But she did... Um, um, the song from um, what is it? Um, Dirty Dancing yes. with Shadow Facts, and and not to spoil the allure, but Dick Move puppeteered behind a wall, and they duetted, and it, it was, was just lovely. It, was it was lovely, lovely and brilliant. And I have to say, I don't know that character, but that act, I got the act. Got because it. because all you have to know is these great. are two characters in love, mm-hmm. in love, and that's it. Yep, that's great. Yeah. You know, and I and that's what I think I really appreciate about really good nerdlesque and stuff that you've always pushed forward is that, like I said earlier, it should be about the act and not the mm-hmm. reference, and the reference should just be secondary. Mm-hmm. Like, re- and that, there's nothing wrong with referential stuff, oh, absolutely. you know, or theme-driven shows. But like, uh, so I'm doing as we're recording tonight. I'm in a BoJack Horseman show, which I have no idea what that is. So, I know it's a thing. So it's I, a, like, I know it's a cartoon. It's a Netflix TV series there that's a dark comedy, and it's amazing. It's really, really good. I it's funny, it and you should check it out. But um, one of the performers in it is Heart Crimson, and I adore them. Oh God, that. I love her. That they are so wonderful. And sorry, they yes, it's okay. I it, we were at a diner the first time I had met them, and I kept calling them her, and she went. I love you. I'm them. Call me them. Yep. She, but but they did an act as one of the characters, and all it was was a strip. You know, it was essentially a reverse strip. It was in pajamas, stripped down to nothing, got put on regular clothes, mm-hmm. and there was no comedy in it. It was mm-hmm. it was very serious and very straightforward, and it was brilliant, mm-hmm. and not something I would have expected from that character that they were portraying. Cool. And so. I think that's the kind of dynamics that really makes burlesque really interesting to yeah. me is that you can take something that would be an obvious reference and do something yeah. completely different with it. I have to say, Heart Crimson's Shining Act, the, oh, the, the Shining yeah. Act yeah. at Nerdless Festival this year, I have not stopped talking about this act. Yeah. And I, I love that. That, to me, I I, I, I teared up watching it, and mm-hmm. I... And I I have to ask them if they have a video of it because I, I want to use it in in nerdless classes because it's kind of the um, to me the the pinnacle of what is possible with nerdless. Right. I get a little. I also get a little manifesto-y about about 
Nerdlesque is burlesque. If I'm in one more goddamn dressing room full of fancy ladies, yeah, that's same. Where I, not the where same. I, oh, or yeah. I get the, oh, how was the thing you, how was that festival you went to? Oh my god, it was great. I mean, I don't know. There was this whole half hour thing, before, like nerdlesque thing, that just like stopped everything. I was like, I don't even know why this is in this. But then they did the festival, and I just want to be like, a, it's the do same. you not see me in the fucking room here with yeah, you guys? Yeah. Come on now, and b, mm, yeah. Mm. <laughs> punch you in the throat um and i want i i i hearts the shining act is is it's if you don't know this if you don't know the movie at all yeah. it doesn't matter the the feel the feels that you get from watching this yeah. are the feels that you get from watching the shining whether you've seen it or not right well because they portrayed <laughs> they portrayed in a way that you're just like this is really beautiful yes and it's also referencing and something and the the when i had to um when i got to introduce that act and i, I asked them about like are there things you would like me to say or not say and um, and one of the things they said was i mean it's also about dismantling white supremacy but you can say that after the act <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yep, it right. sure fucking is." Yeah, it's oh god, yeah. I love that. I love that act. Um, mm-hmm. Shifting completely a little mm-hmm. bit, I want to talk about how when you first started out. So you go by Nasty Canasta. That oh. is your performer name. Mm-hmm. Was that always your performer name mm-hmm. from when you started? And then the follow up is: um, Does anybody call you by your uncle name anymore? Um, my mom. I mean, obviously, my mom. Sure. And my my family. Um, that's pretty much it. And see, that's always something fascinating to me about burlesque. Also, is that you become. Sometimes it's just a persona, but most of the time you become kind of a heightened version of yourself, yeah. and you get to name it. Yeah. Which I think it's, is really interesting. It's funny. I mean, if I had known thirteen and a half years ago, I, I probably would have picked a different name. <laughs> At this point, it doesn't occur to me that it's weird. Right. That it, oh, that, that, oh, yeah. A, that it's weird to have this fake name that's a weird fake name, but also that it's nasty. Like, yeah. every once in a while when people are like, but I can't introduce you to that. I'm like, why? Oh, right. Okay, no, I get right. it. I mean, the nice thing is, ain't a bitch gonna try to take my name because nobody wants to be called nasty, nasty, which is fantastic. But, um... You know, I do love it, and it is my name now. Well, I so feel it whatever, speaks to but... your personality too, because I started using stupid and idiotic as compliments mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. of you. Because I feel like if a burlesque act is truly stupid, it means it's pushing burlesque to its absolute most absurdist. That's that's my feeling as well. Yes. Yeah. And so I think it's only fitting that. And it's funny, too, because I've gotten to a point now. This is how you know my mom has accepted my lifestyle. <laughs> it's like when I say names like Hazel Honeysuckle and Nasty Knast yeah, and all this. Yeah. Like, she doesn't bat an eyelash. Yeah, no, like, my, mine, too. And and it's funny, too, because I always was terrified that my mom might have a problem or my dad would have a problem mm-hmm. with me doing sound for burlesque. I don't know. I had this mentality that they maybe were more prudish than they are. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Who wants to talk to their parents about anything sexual sure, anyway? of course. And so I thought that it would just be weird for them, but they pretty much just accepted it because yeah. they saw how happy it made me. My brother thought it was a little weird, and my favorite thing that I would have been able to pull on my brother to make him uncomfortable since I started doing the last <laughs> is before I got married, I made it very clear I didn't want to go to a bachelor. Uh, I didn't have a bachelor party at a strip club. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'll either know them or I'll know people who are better than them. Mm. Um, it's a different experience too, right? Know, that's, yeah. But I'm just not into that. My brother started joking about stripping and bringing, surprisingly, the stripper. I'll go. Well, yeah, but I probably know them. Yeah, and, do you want my phone? Do right. You want to pick one. And like getting that openly sexual with my brother. Of course, he just went. Ew, no. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm done. Mm-hmm. No. 
Um, so that that was of, of course fun. Um, do you find in your life now, because like me, you're probably surrounded by a lot of people now who understand burlesque and know of it at mm-hmm. least. Do you still find yourself explaining it to people when you yeah, meet them? Yeah, I do. Um, How do you explain burlesque? Because this is something I've always struggled with in describing it. I actually, it depends on who I'm trying to talk to. Mm-hmm. I, I will say there's a lot of times like, um, so, I generally use nasty, you know, just with civilians too. You right. Know? Um, especially like there's a so there's a bar that um, Doc and I go to in our neighborhood, have lunch there a lot. We you know know one of the bartenders and midweek and it's you know like oh god got to get out of the house, sit there, have a burger, have a beer, whatever. You know it's a little bit of a towny place, so you know chat with the dude sitting there with the computer or whatever. Yeah. He always introduces himself as Doc. Um, our the bartender Maria knows me as nasty. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, you know, I will I will introduce myself as nasty when I'm with him. I don't mm-hmm. do it when I'm by myself because I don't want to deal with it. Right, you don't want to explain you know, it, right. Um, but it often entails, wait, what? What does that mean? Why? How? Why? Yeah. And, and you have to sort of do the, like, do I want to get into this? Do I not? Sure. Um, it's funny. If it's somebody who... You kind of do that, like if you if you feel like they're gonna be cool about it, yeah. they, and and they're gonna do the like, I kind of I kind of heard of that. What is it? What, what is yeah. that? You know, like oh, it's striptease and comedy and you know all this yeah. stuff. And if they're like, I don't know, if it's, then you, then I I kind of do more like, oh, it's vaudeville and comedy <laughs> yeah. and dance uh, yeah. and you know. <laughs> I know. No, I, I, I totally get that. I find, like, the more prudish feeling you get of a person, yeah. the less likely you are to say, it's art stripping. I mean, for me, it's more if I if I care about trying to get them to come to a show. Right. If I, I don't, I'm it. like, ugh, it's vaudeville. Don't worry about it. Um, yeah, right. And if I want them to come to a show, then, you know, and describe it. it like it actually is, right, which exactly. is, you know, comedy and genius and naked people and butts and <laughs> trapezes, and, you know. All of that yeah. stuff. At every show, all yeah. the time. Um, Except when the ceilings aren't high enough for trapeze. <laughs> or high enough for some of the performers to stand in the mm-hmm. room, um, which we've all been in those venues, too. So um, talking, going back to talking about the shows that you produce, obviously we've done some really ridiculous stuff like Stripper Macbeth, which mm-hmm. is still one of my favorites. Uh-huh. We have something coming up that will have happened already by the time this airs. But see, it's funny. I always thought that you just had these ideas that you've lived with for a while. Sometimes. and that And that you just curate. But I know the show that we're about to do is not that. It's... You and Doc got re-obsessed with Unsolved Mysteries. Mm -hmm. Because it's on Prime. Because it's on Prime. And so you're watching it. We've also, there's been a long, like a a five-year string of, like, Robert Stack in-jokes. Because how can you not? Because of the two. It's Yeah, it's a thing. And now we're doing, and I have the pleasure of DJing, Unstripped Mysteries. Mm -hmm. And so now is this... I'm curious how you evolve into making a show about that. Is it literally just, hey, I want to see if I can do this thing? Well, okay, so this one in particular... We're watching the thing. We're watching the show and watching the show. And, you know, it's there's seasons and seasons of it. And we've been watching it for ages. And, you know, Doc posted some stuff, like sh- screenshots of some of the choicer mullets on Instagram. <laughs> uh-huh. Turns out um, Angie Pontani uh-huh. has also been obsessively watching Unsolved Mysteries. Uh-huh. She sees this on his Instagram and starts texting us like, oh, my God, have you guys watched the one with the magic rock yet? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so we're, like, texting back and forth about this for, for months. And then, um, I don't know, a couple months ago, uh, you know, sort of watching this and, and going like, oh my God, I wonder if we could do a sort of mystery show, blah, 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 blah. Uh, like, wouldn't that be dumb? And I don't know if anybody would get it. And, and then somehow, 
I think like Angie mentioned something too and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I'll tell you what. If Angie Dan Pontani will do unsol- an Unsolved mystery show with us, I'll write the show. Fine. And she, of course, said and this yes. is why I love her, fancy motherfucking lady is like, fuck yeah, I'll do it. Sure. We got a text the other day that um, she just got a dozen neon scrunchies and a tracksuit in preparation. <laughs> I'm very excited. Um, you know, and then it turns out, I mean, I also try to, I try to sort of crowdsource a little bit with these things because I know that there's a lot of this is why having producing partners is actually important to me not just for the getting the work done but I I need I get very um, I can get very esoteric Mm -hmm. I can get very like it makes perfect sense to me the idea is 27 steps removed from anything recognizable which to me in my brain makes sense and is fine but is not gonna play right um so i need first round you know co-producers being like you can't that's not a nobody's gonna don't that's a bad idea don't don't do that um and then you know the next step of like i think that's a good idea but you know unfortunately doc Doc and i are both like we're we're a little bit older than (laughs) a lot of the people we work with um and i think possibly than the kind of median age of our audience and I know, you know, our, our sort of pop culture references are also extra, like another decade behind right. that. Just he grew up with older siblings and I grew up with older people and I don't know. So there's times when we kind of have to be like, hey, would anybody be interested in a, this show? There was one, the the, the Wasapalooza, the Lollapalooza yeah. show. Um, that one to me was very like, not you know, like grunge music was yeah. like, that I was exactly the right age for that. Doc is older than that and he's yeah. like I don't get it I don't yeah, I don't know if people are gonna be interested in this so we kind of asked asked people we're like does this and people were very excited about it and turned uh-huh. out being a great show the two of us were very into the idea for a long time of doing a stork club show we really wanted to try to figure out how to set it up <laughs> with the tables and the da 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 and the thing and the you know the compare and the, the and um and we had a god I don't know he was probably late 20s early um, uh, you know, uh, assistant working with us, and we're describing this, and he goes, I, I don't know what that is. And we were like, Oh, well, this isn't. And he goes, no, 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 you're not listening. I don't know what that is. I'm your audience. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Don't do that show. And we were like, Okay, yep. That it would sense. have been a good show, sure. but to get people to come to it, right. You know, I mean, so there's, I, there's been things on my list that can't ever be a show because. You can't sell them because right. people aren't going to understand what it means. Sure. And, you know, not that it doesn't have artistic merit or that it wouldn't be a good show, but you need to get people to come see it. Right. Well, and I think also some cult classics have more staying power than sure, others. Like, sure. you know, for sure, people remember Unsolved Mysteries yeah. because of, of just how pervasive it was on TV at the time when it was out. And I think basing that, you know, it, it's enough of a genre even yeah. even with a specific it's a you know early true crime yeah like all right i think i think even if you never watched unsolved mysteries i think you get that idea sure something like I don't know. If you've never seen the Warriors, if you've never heard of the Warriors, if you don't know what the Warriors is You probably uh, still get a reference. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it's but tough like, with some of that stuff. 
you're like you're never sure what's going to fall short either. Like mm-hmm. I've had conversations with people about stuff that in my head is so well known in pop oh, culture, yeah, this is... and they bl- and they blink at you like oh, the first time I was talking to someone younger than me about the Dark Crystal. Yeah, and they blinked at yeah. me it was like Skeksis. I don't know what that is. Yep. And I was like, yeah. really? No, and that's like, and that, but and and I'm on the other side of that now. Like yeah. I don't like I said like I don't know BoJack. Like I've heard of BoJack Horseman because sure. I have Netflix and have scrolled past it. But right. like I couldn't tell you. I mean, it's like it's like I love I love being friends with Danger Doll and, and Stella Chu and following them on social media and not knowing half of the things like, they God dress damn it, Stella Chu! I don't know what you're dressed as, but it looks fucking great. Yeah, like I. No, I'm the same way, and I know a lot of those references, and sometimes I still look at the both of them and go, "Wait, which one what is are this?" You? Yeah. yeah, what are you? I, and I don't care. I think that's yeah. I think that's great. I, I love it. And also, sometimes it inspires you to look up like what mm-hmm. that thing is or I, find out more about it. Um, Shanghai Pearl's number at Nerdlesque Fest this year. The, oh, uh, Saga. Saga. I still haven't read it, but I bit she. I I talked to her about so it good. again because I got to yeah. introduce her, and and I was like, "Can you give me a quick and dirty on this? Because I don't know the the reference." Right. Um. The number was stunning. It was yeah. stunning. I didn't didn't matter at all that I didn't know what it was yeah. based on. But um, but I'm really excited to read this book now. Yeah, it, um, it's just because it looks you know just her talking about it sounds amazing. It, it's cool to learn about stuff like that, you know, and that way. And I think any kind of book yeah. also like also there have been so many shows where I'm like that song. I need to yes, find that absolutely. song. What's that song? Absolutely, and you find new artists based on that too. Mm-hmm. Now that Spotify is pretty much like a app of Wikipedia mm-hmm. for music where yep. you can just click down the rabbit hole and find stuff. Yeah. I find myself always, it's my favorite way sometimes to put together playlists for the shows that I make playlists for is I'll just search a word yep. on Spotify and then listen to a ton of the songs that are listed mm-hmm. and decide if I like them or not or they fit the flow, which has been a lot of fun because then I go, well, what else has this artist yeah. done? Which has been really fun. And I don't have the patience for that, but I like doing that off of your playlist. Later, <laughs> I literally like when I can't, you know, I never really hear anything when it's playing pre-show because I'm doing right. 18 other of things. Course. But later on, I'll be like, all oh, right, now I can actually listen to this this playlist. And then well, I've there also is stuff on there. gotten the lucky compliment of sending you playlists before the shows yes. and you, them becoming things like with the Lollapalooza show, yeah. which is also my era of music that I really loved the most. Sending you that playlist that not only drove Doc nuts because he didn't listen to that kind of music, nope. but that you became obsessed yeah. with. And I and I actually sometimes when, when the timing does work out, I like having them to listen to while I'm putting show stuff together ahead of time because too. it That's, kind of gets you in the mood. Yeah, yeah, I, and I find I do it the same way. Like I like thinking about shows and pulling the stuff together. Mm-hmm. It allows me to pull like my own kind of narrative mm-hmm. together for the stuff. And mm-hmm. I've always gotten compliments on it. Although it's funny, I'm slacking on the unstripped mysteries one, and I'm going to start working on it probably this week. But I think I may just start by looking up stuff about police. And, yeah, and 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 wanted and yeah. like wanted dead or alive has got to be yep. on there because you know who doesn't oh, love Bon Jovi? You also got to put that stupid one from the um, cops, the theme song. Bad boys. Cops on there. Oh, God, Bad I hate boys. that song, but you do have to put it on. Oh, there. it's got to be. It's got to yeah. be on there. That's true because yep. it's not a true crime show. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about the future of burlesque and that kind of obscure, what comes next? Mm. Like you've been doing over. I, in, in just the years that I've been working with you, you've I've watched your shows evolve from being themed to scripted to scripted and bizarre to, <laughs> to narrative rewriting narratives that exist to creating your own narrative, like the thing with Ten Thousand Pasties. Um, do you feel like what do you feel like's next for you writing wise? Do you want to continue to grow and write your own stories um, as well as adapting stuff? I think that's yeah. I mean, I don't have. 12 new shows a year in me anymore. Right. And that makes um, sense. And I mean, also, I also... We put so much effort into the big ones that, you know, and you do them for one night and that 
drives me crazy. Right. You know, especially things like things like Macbeth, where like you know, I'm glad we've gotten to do that twice now, just because yeah. people missed it the first time, and we're yeah. like, God damn it, I really want to see it. But also, like, we put a lot of damn work into that. Sure. Um, so I think we're going to be doing. I'm going to be doing a little bit more. Um, you know, one or two giant new ones and some repeats, and then more kind of, you know, theme-y rather than script, fully scripted ones. But you know, for the big ones, I I like. Um, yeah, I I I like. Like I was saying with doing with my numbers, uh, I like the idea of original scripts. Right. Um, you know, I think it's an easier sell, and I think it's easier for people to latch onto. Um, when they are sort of genre scripts, things like thing with ten thousand pasties, like yeah. um, like like even if you're not getting the entire thing, the moment Doc comes out to intergalactic to fight the beast as right. a giant I robot, mean, like everybody just, gets, it's that. just based on B movies, right? Fifties B movies, yeah. You know the idea, and and that is such a giant, encompassing, all encompassing. That you can kind thing. of do you whatever. You can pretty much put anything in there, yeah. and it also, I mean, frankly, it also makes it a little easier because I don't. I I'm fortunate that I have a lot of people that um, that I work with who are more than willing to create acts for shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's not, It's you know that you have to have a mix of and then. Like, who has an act that's sort of about this? Oh, okay, I can ask, you know, right, so-and-so exactly. to do this one. Oh, she's not available. Okay, I can ask so- and so-and-so instead. Um, just so that, you know, because it's, it's a lot to ask of people, especially, sure. again, if we're only doing it once, um, you know. So that's uh, – but I, I really – I think the reason the reason why Macbeth happened is because, like – it's funny every you know every six eight months somebody reposts and uh, the the um that cd of music that it's impossible to strip to and i get i get tagged in that every time because i actually have done numbers to about a half a dozen of those songs um i love the idea of you can't do a titty show about that right we made Macbeth a fucking titty show. Yeah. Like, and I... And I, it still has the heavy drama of I the think original. it's still, right? And and a lot of that is literally like, you cast Tigger as Lady Macbeth and there's going to be some drama. Oh my like, God. Like, that's not, I'm not pretending that that had anything to do with me. Like, a lot of that show happened because of the people in it. Sure. Um, but you're smart enough but to that's also how that surround works. Your, yeah, you this surround yourself how, with a smart cast. Well, that's, you work with people that you know, and you can be like, here's the vague idea, mm-hmm. and they're just going to go, okay, great, yeah. I'll see you in three weeks. Like, fine. Um, so I, I'm, I don't, you know, I don't, it, it's a little bit of a gimmick, but like, honestly, I mean, we do fucking King Kong yeah. as a titty show. That lends itself because the whole, you know, girl, Fay Ray, Fay yeah. Ray, Beauty and the Beast aspect, but at the same time, it's a fucking titty show. Like, yeah. And I I like the idea of of it's also what I tend to do with my with my acts at the heart of it is like how can I fuck with that right how you can know, I take this thing and mess with it it's literally like all right like fan dance I'll do it to a car alarm which you know was wh- one of the my besides I think your Darth your Darth Vader act your your act to the Imperial March it was one of the first acts I ever saw you do at the I'm way so, station I'm so sorry it was that car alarm act I'm and I loved so it because I was confused <laughs> I loved the fact that I was confused though because it, it allows you to kind of look at something very differently also certain things like talk, going back to Tigger taking Lady Macbeth's death scene mm-hmm. spoiler alert I guess she dies she sorry. dies. And setting it to "Don't worry, be happy," 
it's is is one of those things that you go beforehand you go i don't understand how you do this and afterwards you go of course like, it's how, so I don't, obvious. I don't understand how i didn't, didn't see that coming like yeah. and that's that's yep and that's the kind of thing I think I really like about burlesque it, on the whole is people creating stuff that you either it blows your mind because you would have never thought of it or because it's so obvious how didn't you think of it. Mm-hmm. And I love that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it kind of pulls me in. Also, yes, these shows are sexy and there oh, are attractive people. I'm sorry, butts. Butts. Like, but like, butts. I think I'm also very much into the theatricality mm-hmm. add to the sensualness of it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's just... A, pr- a pretty person on stage is great. That's great. But like, I also like, like more than that. Yeah, absolutely. Like the stupidity that Chris Harder does regularly. Mm-hmm. Like, um, the, welcome to the burlesque name dropping hour, by the way. Right. Um, Get on the internet. Look this up. Look these people up. Well, he's actually either soon or or already did it. He was on tour for his one man show mm-hmm. also. But like, I I love reading that kind of stuff and the versatility of like these performers doing things once they feel comfortable in burlesque being able to stretch beyond that or i love so chris comes from theater as well right um he and you guys do a show together um uh, spoof on the hardy boys and and, yeah and uh and nancy drew um he's he's written and produced uh three of them yeah and it's lovely watching because because we we do have a very similar trajectory, although he he's spent some time in in porn, which I have not done, um, but similar artistic trajectory, but it came out in very different ways. Sure. So we both came from theater, went to school for theater, did our little like theater tour in New York. I'm gonna yeah. go, you know, whatever. Um, kind of fell into burlesque. Um, started he, creating, writing full shows. Um, the one-man show that Chris does now is based on... It, it's about his experiences in porn, mm-hmm. but it encompasses all of what he does. Right. In a, in a very obvious way, but he is an actor on stage doing a show, but there's it, it's informed by so much of the performance that he's done over the years that I've been watching him as a, as a performer mm-hmm. and it, it's, I just, I love seeing that. I absolutely love seeing that. I love seeing people like, um, you know, like Ivory Fox. I first saw yes. her yes. I feel like I, the first time I saw her was maybe in a, in a pole show if I'm, maybe I don't know. I think I'd first seen her in a Wasabosco show, but she had done like a classic act. Yeah, she was, a very, was you know, very... and and she is so good at that, and she's so an amazing circus performer as well. Yeah. But watching her, but she's she's a musical theater idiot, and oh, watching yeah. her now, it start start with the you know well start with where I saw her was was circus pole classic. Yeah. Then start incorporating more striptease into that. Then start incorporating. She's got this fucked up sense of humor that you're just yeah. like, God damn you! Like, what is happening in your brain? Like, oh this, and and now it, that's all rolling into it. And I'm just like, I don't. I love that. I yeah. love that. Well, yeah, she has a one of my favorite acts she's done. Is she has a lifeguard act where she spends half the, the act just being just annoyed, staring at people and, and telling them to whistling. get out of the pool. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's ridiculous. Well, that that actually takes me to like getting to know so many of these performers and personas on stage versus off stage. Mm-hmm. Like she more or less.
dress is pretty wacky now on stage and off stage. But I never knew that because when I had first met her as a performer, she did a lot of classic stuff. So and if you and if you want a fancy lady to do something gorgeous on stage and 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 delicate and beautiful, she'll she can do, do it. that absolutely. But she's such a goofball. But if backstage. you want somebody to say "Kitten and Wizard of Oz" show in a monkey suit in October. <laughs> <laughs> she, she may also do that. She's going to be doing that. Well, yeah. And I think that's something that's really wonderful to me about burlesque and the community. Generalizing the community as a whole is that it's a it's filled with a ton of nerds who just like being nerdy about whatever, whatever it is. Whatever they're... Yeah. I think... I think it, it, is a, it is a wonderful um, positive outlet for obsessive behavior. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> Whether it is literally obsessive rhinestoning, yeah. media noche, or, <laughs> you know, obsessive show tune singing Sapphire Jones, or like, wh- whatever, or or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's it's you, really, really We just hit the part of the podcast where you're just going to call people out now. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I mean, I took my obsession with making mixtapes and made a career it, out exactly. of it. Like, exactly. Like, literally, that's how those playlists started to come to be. It's why I, I remember I first approached you and Doc and went, so for the theme shows, can I put something together? And you guys were like, yeah, sure, yeah. go ahead. And now, yeah. like, Lord every knows. show, I'm like, oh, I have so many ideas. And it's like, it's just, I see, it's funny, I see these narratives with the music and it's <laughs> it all stems from making mixtapes for my girlfriend's exactly. girl coming up exactly. and stuff like that or you know and and it's fun to have the freedom to do that and be obsessive in a space where it's not frowned upon well and it's a, and it's channeled into something positive i mean right. i think if you were you know Obsessively making mixtapes and handing them to random people, like, oh, I made your tape. You'd be like, dude, who's that fucking guy who keeps giving me fucking mixtapes? Right, you know? yeah, like, exactly. I don't. I met him once. Like, why do you give me a fucking mixtape? But I'm using it to create art and engage in art exactly. that I like, and 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 to collaborate on things that you know, like we could totally just have them play the house, you know, have the house tech right. throw on Spotify or iTunes or whatever before the show. But the fact that we have this carefully curated pre-show, mid-show mix adds to the show. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, and I love doing it. And it's funny, too, because, like, I started out with you guys just playing the songs for the show mm-hmm. and playing the playlist that you made and then started incorporating my own personal touches to it. And now it's to a point where, like, now I'm DJing weddings and private events. That's and good. I'm still doing the same thing. Like, I have a dance playlist that's literally just oh, sure. good music to dance to that I send as a template, and then I build from it. But then I think you, I, you know, it's, it's like anything else. Like, if somebody... If somebody books Ivory Fox to do a show, she's going to ask what kind of show it is. If somebody yeah. books you to do a wedding, can be like, cool, what are you guys into? Right. You know? And it's funny, though, because people are sometimes shocked that you're willing to customize the experience. That seems weird. Because isn't that, that what it's about if you're being hired for their event? Yeah. I guess they're... You know? Well, also, I'm not a sticky DJ who comes with props and, 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 and dancers. Although, I suppose I could show up with dancers at this point. You I probably could. could. I could talk to the right people, but I don't know it'd be the dancing that, that Bonnie Brahman want. We know more than a, f- a handful of people, and they would not necessarily be who you think they are who were bar mitzvah dancers in earlier parts of their career. I, I believe that. Yeah. I believe that. As someone who's bar mitzvahed, and apparently my mom tells me I had a huge crush on the, the woman dancer at my uh-huh. own bar mitzvah that I followed her around. Found out years later also, apparently when she, when she was guiding my grandfather to light a candle on my cake, he grabbed her ass in front of everybody. Well done. And my mom Grandpa looked Gen. at my my mom looked at her sister, my aunt, and just went, 
did you see that? She's like, yeah, I saw him do it. What am I going to do? What are you going to do? Like, at that point, it's like, it's happened already. Oh, We're going to have to apologize. <laughs> and, of course, that's not okay and consent is no. important. But it's one of those moments where you go, really? <sighs> Um, but yeah, no, and I think that, um, but I think also what's really interesting about burlesque as an art form is that it's so malleable to incorporate other things. Absolutely. Like I know plenty of comedic musicians who have played at shows mm -hmm. and you guys did a live band Led Zeppelin show, mm -hmm. um, where Sydney sang. Yeah. Which was, is really cool because I, at that point, had no idea that Sydney sang. Oh, yeah, no, that's her jam. And so, like, it, it to be able to uh, welcome and incorporate, like, we did a show that just parodied ourselves. Mm-hmm. Where the jokes were more or less for us. I And I and I and that's another one that I, I wonder about. Um, years and years and years ago in a, in a previous life, I did a show that was all fan dances. Uh-huh. And I thought it was really interesting. It was. It was a great show. We had, you know, Dirty Martini, who is, like, yeah. the epitome of, you know, ha like, the classic, stunning fan dance up to there was somebody who um, did a... Uh, did a fan dance using giant foam fingers. The we're number one to <laughs> yeah. we are the champions. Um, I did the car alarm. You know, we had kind of everything in between. It was a great show. It, it was a wonderful, um, you know, demonstration of the possibilities of this really weirdly specific thing. And like kind of nobody came to it. Wow. Because it was too specific. Right. You know, and I think so that's part like I uh, that's part of the is anybody going to come to a store club show? Also, like, ha we can't get too self-referential. Right. We, we do forget, because we eat, sleep, and breathe this crap. Right. That, like, even my mother, who's been kind of dealing with it on my behalf for over a decade, every once in a while, she, God, she texted me, and she's like, there's a, there's a Dee Dee Van somebody in New York, she's do, in, in, um, fr in Boston doing a show. Do you know her? Do you work with her? And, like, Dee Dee Van... Dee Dee, I don't know who that is. No, I, let me see. And she's like, uh, it's in the newspaper. I'll send you the clipping. I'm like, no, Ma, I don't work with Dita Von Teese, no. <laughs> like, arguably the only person that a civilian has ever heard of. Right. My mom should know who this is. Like, kind of don't even know who it is. Right. So, like, we can't get that self-referential sure. because... People don't know what our crap is. Sure, but I mean, also, I think we'd all admit that show was more for us than it was oh, for yeah, anyone absolutely. else, and, and for and for our audience, right? I mean, and our really audience fun. played along too, which was the best mm -hmm. part. And to be fair, a couple people, those numbers are still sticking around in different contexts. That's excellent. So. I mean, I want to see your Chris Harder act. I again. am never doing that again because <laughs> too much my, cardio. Oh my god! I thought I was gonna die. <laughs> I did two and a half fake sit-ups, and I think I'm gonna die. Still, yeah. this was That's over so a year ago, and my stomach still hurts. I, I still. Want want a show where just um, Ivory Fox and Mr. Gorgeous perform together. Mm -hmm. If you've not looked them up, Ivory Fox might be one of the shortest performers I've ever met. And, Five feet, I believe. Five and, feet one. And Mr. Gorgeous is probably, he's like Superman in real life, yeah. essentially. He's yeah. the tallest V-shaped human I've ever met. And often performs in six-inch heels. Six-inch heels with tiny chairs. Yeah. Because why not? Why not? He's, he's a performer, like, speaking of the vaudeville side of it, like him and Victor Devon and like, these God, are performers. so good. These are performers who like their body and movements are great, but their facial expressions huh. are what you're watching yeah. for because they just 
do the best mm-hmm. stuff. Because until we invent a way to remove the top of the head and put a clear thing over it so you can just watch their brain yeah. the whole time, that's kind of the... Yeah. That's the next step. That's, yeah. That's the next step. Um, before before we wrap up, I did want to ask, so you talked about that there are shows that you've been wanting to do for ages that you've never done. What, I th- what do you think is the furthest from ever happening that you really want to do that you'd be willing to say on air? Because I don't want to jinx it from not happening, but is there an idea that you've had, besides the Store Club one, that you don't think will ever happen, at least in this current arc incarnation, but that you really want to do? Well, I mean, I kind of want to do a one-woman burlesque show. Where it's just you do. Where I host and and perform the entire show. I mean, that would be amazing. It would be horrible. Nobody wants to see that. That's not true. No, nobody wants to see that. And what I want to do, I think think the idea is it'll be the last show I ever do. Uh I'm going to do every number in my repertoire. (laughs) I'm just going to have to host it with a headset so I can duck back behind a thing and keep changing costumes. While hosting. And and strip everything into a dumpster. (laughs) <laughs> on stage, <laughs> and then light it on fire at the end. So, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Coming at the to way, way a stage in New York. Yeah, soon. at the way end of your career. Um, nasty. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank it's been you. a delight to have you. Um, what can we promote that you're doing? Uh, uh, let's say after mid September. Uh, in October, we are doing a late night Wizard of Oz. Excellent. And uh, in November. Um, Speaking of things that I'm procrastinating on, we are doing a Sherlock Holmes show. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. That I'm excited for. Do <sighs> you want to write the script? Um, no, you don't want me <laughs> writing anything. Yeah, no, I'm going to say. Like, I should go do that now. You then. should probably do that. Yeah. Um, um, I also credit you as someone who helped me get over my stage fright because I often had stage fright, but now in burlesque and anything music related, like I feel confident and Good. like you slowly wrote me into your shows and had lines. I think that's my favorite thing about your non-themed, sh- your themed non-scripted shows mm-hmm. now is that they're even sometimes scripted. Like what was it that we did a sleep uh, or a Christmas show yeah. or something where I was the DJ and I like bounced and like nobody yes. showed up yeah. and that still had a script even though you know it didn't really need a script mm-hmm. but it was the script was great and it's I still fun. kept the Christmas card that just says the DJ's out on it <laughs> because it's just silly um, thank you so much for coming on thank it's you. a pleasure um, I would ask that you close the show by saying our catchphrase music is life and life is good and sending us off into that great good night Thank you so much. Music is life, and life is good. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.